You are listening to the sermon stream of the Mulvane Church of Christ in Mulvane, Kansas. Subscribe in your favorite podcatching app or find and listen to any sermon online at mulvanechurch.com sermons. Good morning. If you're opening to the Gospel of John, we're going to read from the first chapter this morning. We're going to read as a scripture reading the same as we read last week from the prologue. Then we're going to spend most of our time in chapters 1 and 3 of the Gospel of John this morning. John 1, verses 1 through 8, and then verses 15 and 16. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that's come into being. In him was life, and the light was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light, so that all might believe through him. He was not the light. But he came to testify about the light. Verse 15 now. John testified about him and cried out saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we all received, grace upon grace. We take our sermon title there from verse 6. There came a man sent from God, whose name was John. So John, the apostle, here in the Gospel of John, as he takes us on our guided tour of belief, the first person besides Jesus that he introduces us to is John. Interestingly enough, in the Gospel of John, he's never called John the Baptist. He's called John. Uh, In the other Gospels, there's a very prominent John. But in this gospel, John is very uh, intentionally uh, not going to uh, use his own name. So there's no other prominent John. There's no other name conflict. So we don't have John qualified in any way except as a man from God. And as he says of himself, a a voice crying in the wilderness, we have him as a witness. We don't have that uh, descripting of him to separate him from the other Johns as the Baptist. We will have another John in the Gospel of John. He'll get a very brief mention a couple of times. Uh, That's Simon Peter's dad, uh, Simon, son of John. But he won't be there himself. He'll just be uh, mentioned as his son as part of the genealogy. So uh, we don't have any other Johns to name conflict with. So we don't know him in John's Gospel as the Baptist. But interestingly enough, we'll know him pretty well by the time we get done with him. And John's treatment, because as John takes us on our guided tour of faith, our guided tour of belief, and again, as we mentioned, 98 times in the Gospel of John is some form of the word believe, belief, believing, believed. Uh, We're going to have 98 mentions of that, and John is said to do his job to cause people to believe. That's why the whole book's written. That's what the tour is about. The tour is about belief, and John will play his part in setting up the stage as to why it is that we might believe 
and how John led people to believe. Uh, we think about any biography, and you think about some notable biographies uh, of the recent past, and how the, the foundation so often sets the tone, uh, and how the biographer will give us important things uh, as themes from the beginning. I remember having read a uh, biography of uh, the first uh, President George Bush, and uh, that guy had an impressive biography, uh, and he had an impressive resume. But the two things that, that are set early in the book is the fact that he is this uh, blue blood from Connecticut. He plays baseball for the Yale team. But also, right after uh, he, he, he leaves college early, goes to war, gets shot down in an airplane, as you do, you know, <laughs> in a notable biography, you become a war hero, get shot down by the Japanese Pacific. But right after the war, he goes out to far west Texas and becomes a Texas oil man. And the, the, the connections and the money connections he made in Texas with the family connections and the blue blood connections of Connecticut, he, he uses both of those uh, to astounding effect. And every biography that deals with uh, the first George Bush has to deal with this Connecticut blue blood and Texas thing mixed together. And uh, it, it kind of sets how the story goes. Well, what we have here in John in this biography, this, bi- this gospel biography of Jesus to cause belief, is we get in chapter 1 and in chapter 3 an awful lot about John uh, that helps us set the tone for all the things uh, that's going to come. And so we end up, uh, I think this is uh, in his treatment of John, <clears throat> is one of the things we can clearly see where John, uh, John writes this, understanding that you already know the story of John. Jo- John, the ba- John the Baptist, in the Gospel of John, he's never recorded as saying the word repent. And if we ever summarize John the Baptist, what do we always start with? Repent for the kingdoms at hand. We don't have uh, that, uh, don't have him saying repent once in, um, in the Gospel of John. And, and what we, I think, realize from that is that these uh, preachers and prophets of God, they preached a full message. Uh, they, 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 were not, they were never, you know, a one-note nick, that they just, you know, got that one thing and did that over and over. They preached a full message. Repentance was certainly part of it, but it's not specifically mentioned here. But we end up having more material from John about John in John than we do in the other three Gospels. So the other three Gospels, which give us the main outline of John's life uh, and uh, tell us of his death, all the whole story of John's death. It's mentioned that he's imprisoned in John, John's Gospel, but all that about um, him being uh, uh, what happens in prison and how he dies, that's not in John's Gospel either. But even without, with those omissions, because John knows you already know them, I'm really sure, you already ha- you have more material about John in the Gospel of John than in other place. So what we have is we find, that is, as it's said in the prologue, in, there, in verse 6, there came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe in him. So that is what John in the gospel here concentrates on. That's what he guides us to for us to believe as well. That John spoke and testified so that it might be belief. Now, it says he was a man sent from God. And so we think about uh, the record uh, of his birth uh, back in Luke chapter 1. We think about the fact uh, that he was prophesied about in Malachi 4 as well as Isaiah 40. 
we think about the fact that it is obvious that this man was sent from from God. He was the greatest prophet up until the time of Jesus. He's the greatest prophet they ever had. In Luke 7, after some messengers had come from John and asked questions, Jesus says this in John 7, 24 about John. What did you go out to the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Those who are in splendid clothing live in luxury and are found in royal palaces. But what did you go out to see? He asked a third time. A prophet? Yes, I say to you, one who is more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it was written, quoting Malachi 4. Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare the way before you. I say to you, among those born of woman, there is no one greater than John. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And so Jesus says, yeah, God sent him. And anybody who had any kind of spiritual understanding whatsoever, it really took kind of an intentional uh, spiritual dumbness, an intentional spiritual amnesia. It took a purposeful uh, denial that this man was from God to say that he was not from God. Uh, Mentioned a while ago briefly about his coming to the world. It was announced ahead of time as the angel Gabriel shows up to tell his daddy's coming. The angel says, don't be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. And he will turn back many of the sons of Israel to the Lord their God. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so that so to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So the angel and the Lord himself both quote the Malachi 4 passage. We could read it, but we already got the main part. They quote this passage to say, God is sending this man to change hearts. God is sending this man to prepare the way for the Messiah. And so that's what John said about him in his prologue. He also says in his prologue that this was a man. As opposed to, what do we have about Jesus? In John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. And so we have two individuals here in the prologue. And you got to say, if you get in the same prologue with Jesus, that's doing pretty good. The two individuals in the prologue, one is God, the Word of God, the Son of God. And the other is this man, this man sent from God. You think, who would be an appropriate companion for God on earth? Well, one sent by God, but it is pointed out from the beginning, this is an inferior man. Now, it's not often you're complimented by people saying you're inferior. But when the point of comparison is with God and the word of God, the Messiah, to be even considered by anybody in that as inferior 
is no insult at all. It's no slight. As a matter of fact, early on, John was so prominent and John's preaching was so powerful, there were some thought he might be the Messiah. And this other Jesus guy, well, he might be a prophet too. We don't know. We'll have to see. But they were thinking Jesus already, or excuse me, John already, was the Messiah. So verse 15, John testified about him, crying out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. John says Jesus existed before me. He's pre-existent. Now, John knew the members of his family, just as you know the members of yours. How many times as an adult, not as a child who gets confused about dates and times, but how many times as an adult have you thought your younger cousin was older than you? It doesn't happen. So what does John mean when he says, he existed before me, he's of higher rank than me. Now, there's some people like to throw their weight around in the family. You know, John might say, little little John. No, that was a different character. Sorry, that's Robin Hood. But younger John. And this this uh, facetious John of which we're picturing. What if John comes up and says, my daddy's a priest. Angel said I was coming. Angels announced my birth. And I, I was born in a special way. Now, we can't imagine John saying that, but imagine if you did or tried. And then what would Jesus say? Our equally facetious Jesus. Yeah. Well, did, did you have an angelic chorus at your birth? I did. Angels announced my birth too. And John, at the end of the day, about the only thing he could lean on is, well, I'm older. There's none of you little siblings ever do that to your, to your uh, little brothers or sisters, right? Go, well, I'm older. As though that matters, right? As though that matters. Used to be, I would tell my sisters, I'm older. As we've gotten older, what do my sisters always say now? Dude, you're older. Like, oh, stop that. I liked that for the first 20 years. Haven't liked it in the last 20. But no, he knows. He knows when Jesus was born. He knows when he was born. It's not just that Jesus, it wasn't that Jesus was born first, but Jesus existed first. Jesus is the pre-existent. By the time we get to John 8, it'll be Jesus saying that Abraham... Before Abraham was, I am. And they go, this guy's not even 50 yet. Of course, actually he's closer to 30. And he's been around longer than Abraham? Yeah, he has. And so it's no slight. And John recognizes this, that he is inferior to Jesus. In many ways, the marvelous thing is that Jesus, who partook of flesh and blood and came to be with us, it's amazing that Jesus considers us such equals as he does. That he elevates us to be his friend. And he does so much for us. And he's not ashamed to be called our brother. Sometimes we act like we're ashamed to be called some of these guys brother. But Jesus said he's not. But no, he says, and I know, he says, I know, I know. They can, compared to him, I'm nothing. I am far below him. And so I want, I, I want to tell you about him. You know, and, and when, when your attendance, when, when, you're, when your prep team, when your helpers are of the caliber of John, what do you think's coming? Because is the main guy, the ace, is he, is he on the prep team or he, he the headliner? 
This, this is the B team. This is the opening act. No, John, John says, I know it. I'm not trying to be the opening act. I'm not trying to be on the main stage. This marvelous thing is, is that he has come for all of us such as he is. And so then he tells us about Christ. We already saw as John summarized in the prologue, verses 7 and 8. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. Again, it's a purposeful witness. It's not just, well, here's something to happen. You might want to do something with this or not. Be okay. Whatever you want to do with it. No, he came that you'd believe. He testified for you to believe. He said, I'm not the light. Again, that's just how strong a person and strong the preaching of John was that he could even be confused with the light. As long as I preach, do you think anybody ever confused me with the Messiah? I don't think so. Only time I've ever known the preacher to get confused with the Messiah is either in cults or when the preacher gets self-deceived in his own mind. Uh, But no, nobody's ever mistaken the messenger of Christ and the Messiah, but such was the power of Jesus, the power of John proclaiming Jesus. They thought he might be the light. He keeps saying, no, I'm not. Verse 19. Here's some of John's first actual testimony, not the summaries of it. This is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I'm the Christ. I'm not the Christ. What if you would have said, I'm the Christ. Take me to Jerusalem. Give me some nice rooms. Get the room service warmed up. No. He confessed and did not deny, I'm not the Christ. Well, then who are you, Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? And again, he answered, no. And they said, well, who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? All right, so you're not all these things that we provided you a fill in the blank for. Why don't you just tell us yourself? I'm the voice. And here's the quote from Isaiah 40. The voice calling in the wilderness, clear the way for the Lord. Make smooth the desert, a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up. Let all the mountains and hills be made low. That's Isaiah 40. He said, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the path of the Lord. As Isaiah the prophet said. So John's preparation and John's telling of Christ includes a change of heart, right? Changing the hearts. Getting people ready. And that's why it's the same message as in the other Gospels. Repent and be baptized. We'll see the baptized come in later here in John's Gospel as well. So this repentance, this change of heart, this is the thing that makes people ready for the Lord. Now verse 24, it says, those who had been sent out were, him for, were Pharisees. And all of a sudden the Pharisees say, now tell us about this baptism bit. And they asked him and they said to him, why then are you baptizing if you're not the Christ or Elijah or the prophet? Why are you baptizing people? And so John telling people to change their hearts, to make things straight and be baptized, that bothered them. And I don't know why, from the Pharisees on, baptism has bothered people. And people want to go, well, hold on, why this baptism thing? I don't always know why it's such a test, that it seems like such a simple thing. Yet it is such a test and stumbling for many. But John says, I baptize in water. But among you stands one who you do not know, It's he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. 
These things took place in Bethany beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. And so John's message of preparation, John's testimony of Jesus included this baptism. Now, we have more of it in the other Gospels. We know it was baptism uh, with repentance for forgiveness of sin. Now, that sounds awful familiar to us in the Gospel, doesn't it? Because there's a preparation in the Gospel. And baptism and repentance are what gets us ready for the life with the Lord. And baptism and repentance in this way are always a test. They were then, and they are now. And these Pharisees, they reject it right out of hand. Just as so many have done ever since. Even though there's such a manifest and obvious power of God behind John's teaching... They say, oh, we don't like what you're doing. In Luke 7, Jesus explains about it this way. He said, I say to you, among those born of women, there's none greater than John. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people and the tax collectors heard this, they acknowledged God's justice, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected God's purpose for themselves not having been baptized by John. And so the preparation of the gospel was received and rejected just about in the same way as the gospel itself was. Because God, John's message of preparation, which is believe in the Christ to come, repent of sins. He also gave some moral teaching. If you're going to repent, you need to show it and live it and be baptized. <coughs> These were <coughs> accepted or rejected by the same people both before the death of Christ and after the death of Christ. And it's still the same today. When people hear of the need to change their hearts and submit to Jesus, oftentimes then they'll come up with all kinds of objection. And one of the things they object to is baptism. You know, Jesus didn't give us much, but what Lily gave us in this regard of things to do, well, people just start rejecting that. Why? Well, because it seems the heart hasn't changed. When the heart's changed, it seems like the baptism is pretty easy. When the repentance, the change of heart is not present, the baptism, you know, pointing to that gets awful bulky. Like, ah, I don't know about that baptism thing. But why not? <laughs> Jesus said it, John said it, we find it all over the Bible. I don't know about that baptism thing. You know, maybe it could be the real problem is the first part, the repentance. Or maybe the submission to Jesus. Or maybe that's the problem. Not so much the action at the end. And so John preached that preparation and told people of Christ. And not just in a general way, but with some of his disciples, some of those that are, turned out to be great people, turned out to be apostles even, people with whom we think, man, if I were back then, I'd like to be with them. I'm sure John would have liked to be with them longer too. Because they seem like uh, uh, some of them are guys with a lot of things uh, going on that we'd like. But John sends them right over to Jesus as he points to them Jesus and encourages them to follow him instead of, of himself. So verse 29. We're in chapter 1 of John, verse 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 
the famous uh, 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 phrase, Agnes Dei, Latin for Lamb of God. Here's the Lamb of God. Here's the, the one who's going to be the sacrifice. I don't know how much of that John yet fully understood, you know, over three years before Jesus' death. But by inspiration, he tells us what's coming. Here is Jesus, the Lamb of God. This is the one that I said, of whom he comes, who comes, he who comes after me is a man of higher rank than I. He existed before me. So John said, I wasn't just talking about somebody coming. I meant that guy, that one right there, that fellow. Um, which one, John? The one with the red cloak or the blue, the red cloak? Okay, go that one. Uh, you know, or however he pointed him out. You know, third guy from the left or the guy closest to that tree. That's the guy, the guy in front of everybody else. John clearly points out the individual. So it's not just, uh, you know, hey, there, there's another coming. But no, it's this guy's coming. I've been talking about this man right here. And then he says, and I don't fully understand this, I did not recognize him, but so that he might be made manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. Now, I don't know when John didn't recognize him, and I'm not sure exactly how before John began his prophetic ministry, he didn't recognize him. Maybe he's talking about the time, you know, they're growing up as cousins, and he didn't realize that, you know, his his cousin, who's just about the same age as him, is going to be the savior of the world. I don't know if that's what he's talking about. Or some other time that Jesus was listening to John in the crowds and, and John didn't pick him out. I don't know if that's it. I don't know exactly when and how John hadn't recognized him before, but he says it's on his behalf I came baptizing. I came baptizing to show this man to Israel. So my job was to show this man to Israel and I'm telling you, he's the guy. He's the guy who's before me. He's the guy who's the Lamb of God. He's the guy that takes away the sins of the world. I've seen, verse 32, the Spirit descending as a dove from heaven on him and remain on him. I didn't recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, he upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And so as I was baptizing, I was told there's something beyond what I'm doing coming and the Spirit's going to be involved and the Holy Spirit's coming. And you think about the Old Testament. <clears throat> In the Old <coughs> Testament, people didn't even know if there was a Holy Spirit, right? And, and, and John's preaching wasn't primarily about the Holy Spirit. There were some of John's disciples in Acts 19 who didn't know about the Holy Spirit. But John is one of the first ones who clearly says... The Holy Spirit's coming through him. And so that was revealed to John. And so look at all the things that Jesus, that John points out about Jesus. And he says, I've seen it. I testify that this one is the Son of God. So he's the Lamb of God. He's the Son of God. He's the Spirit bestower. bestower. He's of higher rank than me. He's the one all this is about. John could not be any more clear. Now, you think about those guys who stand out in front of these uh, uh, storefront tax businesses and they're spinning their signs and they're, 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 they're jabbing their sign and they're, they're throwing their sign. And what are they doing with that sign? They're trying to get you to notice this business right here, right? 
John is doing that verbally, isn't he? What else would John have to do but go over and grab the guy and yell, this is him. It's this one right here. That's what John's doing. As he does that, some of his disciples start to follow Jesus. Well, I'd hope you would too, right? And that's what they do. And the next day, John's again standing with two of his disciples. One of them is probably the John who writes this gospel. The next day, John's standing with two of his disciples. And he looks at Jesus as he walked and said, Behold the Lamb of God. So here goes that again. And the two disciples who heard him speak, they followed Jesus. And what do you think John's reaction would be? Oh, man, I lost some more disciples. No, good, go, go. That's what I'm here for. I'm trying to get you to go with him. And one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he found his brother Simon and said, we found the Messiah. Well, how did he know he was the Messiah? What had John been saying? So John keeps telling us the Messiah is coming, the Messiah is coming. And then John says the Messiah is here, it's him. They follow him. And then he gets his brother and said, we found him. The one that this has been all about. The one this is all headed to. John pointed these good disciples who become the inner circle of Jesus' apostles. John points them to Jesus. And as he does that, we find now, that's chapter 1. The second large section of John the Baptist in the Gospel of John, is chapter 3. So normally we think about chapter 3 of John. I say, hey, what's in John 3? And everybody goes, Nicodemus. Well, there's two stories in John 3. There's the story of Nicodemus. We'll get to that, Lord willing, in time. But there's also what John does now that Jesus has been preaching for a while, preaching for at least a year. So we've, we're going to fast forward now a year into Jesus's ministry and we're in John 3 and 22 after these things Jesus and his disciples came to the land of Judea and there he was spending time and baptizing John also was baptizing in Aon near Salem because there was much water there and the people were coming and being baptized for John had not yet been thrown into prison so all that story of the the imprisonment and execution of John. John knows you know that. He doesn't tell that story. But he's telling you, I'm telling the story that happened not too far before that. And therefore, there arose a discussion on the part of John's disciples with a Jew about purification. So somebody is arguing with John, a Jewish fellow. They're all Jews. <laughs> but Usually when John, in his gospel, points out a Jew, he he means one of the religious establishment. They're arguing with John about purification. Well, you start talking about baptism and washing and things, and what are people going to talk about? Purification and forgiveness and things like that. And so they're asking and they're arguing about purification. I get the feeling that whoever this Jewish fellow was, again, uh, most likely religious establishment. I get the feeling he's not, th- this discussion is not going well for him. Because look what he says in the middle of a discussion about purification. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified, 
Behold, he is baptizing and all are going to him. And so that guy you told us about, Jesus, he's now getting more disciples than you are. And he is baptizing. And the scripture will let us know at one point that more are baptized by Jesus and his disciples than by John. And so that must have been a considerable number. And so the, it's, it's obvious it's an appeal here to sidetrack them from this discussion of purification and get them off into this other thing about jealousy and, and a self-serving thing and selfishness and try to get John to vindicate himself or prove himself or defend himself. And if hopefully maybe these Jews who aren't coming off probably too well in these discussions with either John or Jesus to get John and Jesus to fighting each other, right? Get a little discord in their camp. No, it doesn't go so well because John, he doesn't dispute that Jesus is baptizing more. He doesn't denounce Jesus as baptizing more. He doesn't even seem upset about it. As a matter of fact, he says, yeah, that's the way this is supposed to go. Verse 27, John answered and said, a man, that's him, can receive nothing unless it's been given to him out of heaven. You yourselves are, are my witness that I said I'm not the Christ, but I've been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friends of the bridegroom who stands and hears rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. So this joy of mine has been made full. He must increase, but I must decrease. He said, I'm glad he's here. I'm glad people are following him. It's his day. It's his wedding. It's his show. I'm a part of this. I'm a friend I'm a supporter, but it's his show. Verse 31, he who comes from heaven is above all, but he who is of earth is from the earth and speaks of the things of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. What did he say? He's mightier than I. What he has seen and heard of that he testifies, and no one receives his testimony. He who has received his testimony has this seal set on uh, his seal uh, to this, that God is true. And he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things to his hand. He who believes in the Son has eternal life. But he who does not obey the Son does not see life, but the wrath of God abides in him. That sounds kind of like that old John the Baptist we know from the other gospel, right? Repent, the axe is laid at the root of the tree. You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. This sounds like that John, doesn't it? Because it is that John, same John. But they had brought up Jesus' success in order to try and uh, get some kind of a distraction from the uh, religious argument that wasn't going well to get some kind of discord Uh, maybe to get some kind of animosity stirred up, to get some kind of conflict going, and they're bringing up Jesus' success, only got John to commend him and give witness to him more. And he says, I don't know why y'all don't believe him. He speaks from the things of heaven, and y'all don't believe him. John says, I speak of the things of earth. I speak of some pretty basic things, and I've had people follow me. He speaks of better things. Why don't you follow him? And he says, the father loves him and has given him everything. 
And if you believe, this is where you can have a part. And John said, basically, this is where I have a part. He who believes in the Son has eternal life. John came to give witness so that you might what? Believe. And what are some of John's final words here in the Gospel of John? Believe to have eternal life. Or, but, he who does not obey does not see life, but has the wrath of God abiding in him. This tells us what kind of belief it is. It is that kind of belief that trusts enough to follow through and act, right? It's, it's ne- the, the belief of John is, is almost never just uh, an acknowledgement of, oh, yeah, I think that's probably right. Uh, there are some people who have that kind of belief in John, and John, John will tell them, that, say that they have that much, but, but they won't confess. No, John here says, John the Baptist does, that the saving faith is in contrast to the not obeying. And so there's not a believing but not obeying option. There's a believing with the trust enough to do, or there's the not obeying, which has the wrath of God. And so in chapter 1 and in chapter 3, we get an awful lot of John the Baptist. We don't get John the Baptist too much more. Uh, We do get Jesus mentioning briefly in John 5 as one of the witnesses to the things that Jesus is doing. But we get one more testimony. We get one more commendation of John uh, way down in chapter 10. That's a brief one, uh, but I think it's an important one. And it tells us just how successful John was. So just like if you read one of those biographies that were telling you about, you know, how the origins of something, the origins of this person played out in their life, and you see some of these threads and connections, uh, you know, kind of a bow on it at the end. So it is here that John went out and preached that message and had great success in directing people to Jesus. And as Jesus was reaching the height of his popularity, it says in John 10, 41, many came to him and were saying, while John performed no sign, Yet everything John said about this man is true. And many believed in him there. And so John's message of this is the Lamb of God. This is the Son of God. This is the preexistent one. This is the one who gives the Spirit without measure. This is the one who is so much greater than me. Everybody go to him. People understood as John preached his message with power it was such that it could only be that god was with him even though he didn't have a single miracle to back it up right john had no miracles but john's preaching was so clear and powerful and obviously from god that it was a powerful thing to him to point to jesus who was doing all the miracles now john does the traditional thing of a prophet he preaches repentance Uh, He preaches uh, the threat of judgment. Uh, He preaches uh, submission to God. But he doesn't do miracles. And prophets seldom did. Jesus comes and does something far beyond that. And and really, uh, as we'll see through the Gospel of John, has extraordinary personal claims. John claims nothing about himself except what? I'm a voice. (laughs) I'm a messenger. 
Jesus, on the other hand, has the most extraordinary personal claims. I'm God. I'm with the Father. I'm the resurrection. I'm the vine. I'm the shepherd. But with those extraordinary claims, what does Jesus have to back it up? Extraordinary miracles. Right? So there's reason to believe Jesus' extraordinary claims, even as there is reason to believe, as these people did, uh, John's relatively, and I say relatively within the realm of prophets, John's relatively ordinary claims, right, of morality, of, of repentance, of submission, of trust, of turning to God. And so John was obviously a prophet. The, again, when John, uh, Luke 7, when Jesus commended John, the people rejoiced because they, they, they knew how important it was that Jesus recognized John as they had as a prophet. So John did no signs. But everything he said about Jesus was true. And so he helped people believe in Jesus and those extraordinary claims that Jesus had. Jesus had miracles as well. And Jesus, Jesus gave us, as we'll see through the Gospel of John, every reason to believe. And John did his part as well, giving us reason to believe in Jesus. So the Gospel of John, again, our guided tour to belief. And today's helper to help us believe, is John the Baptist, a man sent (coughs) from God whose name was John, a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe in him. And today we certainly hope you believe in him and you trust in him. That was the purpose of this last great prophet of Old Testament times. The law and the gospel were until John. John was the last of that great line teaching us about the Messiah who fulfilled those promises and came to save us all. So today we ask, do you believe in him as John directed us and his entire ministry was focused on? Please do so. Express that belief. Obey him and trust in him fully and completely. With that, we'll close. Ask you to come to the invitation this morning, confessing Jesus or confessing sin to return. If you need to come to the invitation, we offer the invitation as we stand and sing. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ. Additional sermons and information available at mulvanechurch.com. Come see what a difference the Bible way makes.